to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. If if you're here today and um, you are somewhat burdened down and maybe overcome with the condition of our world and the wickedness in it, or you're battling with uh, personal sin in your own life, or you have a situation that you're facing that you see see no solution to. You see a, a situation that maybe you consider it hopeless and you feel helpless in it. I believe God has... Um, has truth for you today. Maybe you're here today and say, I am longing for His kingdom. We know that He has truth for each of us. The book of Zechariah is a book written to bring encouragement. The children of Israel had been taken captive into Babylon. God miraculously worked to bring them back, many of them, back to Jerusalem, and they were to rebuild the temple. They got distracted and weren't doing what God wanted them to do, were living for themselves. And Haggai came on the scene, and he was a no-holds-barred type of prophet. He just... He just confronted them and addressed the issue and really, as we saw, called them out. Zechariah is raised up of God and he comes along and God used Zechariah to come and provide encouragement. After they were called out, now he came to provide encouragement And really, if you were to summarize the book, it's basically the Lord saying to these people, Fear not, I am committed to doing good in you and through you. The whole book is made up of various visions and prophecies that that God gave to Zechariah to encourage Israel and They were intended to fill these Jews with hope in God and to make them fearless and strong. You might say, boy, I don't know today that I could say I'm fearless and strong. Well, the truths that we're going to look at today can be instrumental in helping us in that. Now, in chapter 4, we read about one of the visions, one of the messages that God gave to Zechariah to give to the children of Israel. And it it deals with these seven lampstands, and these lampstands have bowls over them, and they have tubes running into the bowls from these trees. And you say, You've lost me on all of this. And you may have read Zechariah this week in your studies and said, you lost me on all of this. Throughout Scripture, oil has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. 
And in this passage, we, we find a key to this. The best commentary on Scripture is always Scripture itself. And in this, he, he paints this picture of these lampstands that are dependent on oil for their light. They have a bowl full of oil that's feeding them, these tubes that feed them, these trees, olive trees that produce the oil, are feeding the bowls and the tubes and the lampstands. And so if we say, as it says here, that the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit, you come to verse 6, and he said, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So he's saying things that are, are going to happen are not going to happen by your might. It's not going to be brought about through military might. It's not going to be brought about through governmental power. It's not through might nor through human power that anything eternal is done. It is only through the Spirit of God. And this morning, we want to look at a number of things that... God intends that it's only God that can do this. We are prone, by nature, we are prone to trust other things. Our own strength, our own wisdom, other human beings. And God says, no, it is, my work is not by human might. It's not by collective power. <clears throat> it is by my spirit. So he's saying, only God can do things. And, and the first thing, it begins, if you look in chapter 3, move back to chapter 3. Our studies this week in our Bible studies are chapters 3 through 6. But in chapter 1, then he showed me, or chapter 3, excuse me, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? <clears throat> Only God, number one, can rebuke Satan. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on, has gone on, since Satan was thrown out of heaven because of his pride and rebellion against God. And he is leading a warfare against God, and, and Satan is a powerful being. But God did not put it in us. It's not by our might or by our power but by the Spirit of God, only God can rebuke Satan. And he, he's saying in this, there was the, the conflict. And, and we, we could spend a whole lot of time on this, but Satan is before God accusing the brethren. Even today he's doing that. And, and if we do not rest in God... 
we are no match for Satan. It is only God that can rebuke Satan. And in all of these things that we mention, we'll mention it is only God that can rebuke Satan and he will. And, we, and this is where we get our encouragement. There are times that wickedness seems to be prospering and Satan seems to be having his way. And we need to come back and realize there is only one that is Master and Lord, and that is God. And in realizing that, only God rebukes Satan. I don't have the time to go into various aspects of it. But he has the power, he has the authority, he rose victorious from the grave, conquering sin, death, hell, and Satan. And he has the power, he has the authority, and the the reality is that God is the power and authority. The um, Great Commission is based on all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So, we notice only God can rebuke Satan. You notice chapter 3 and verse 2. The end of that verse. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Secondly, only God can rescue, rebuild, and protect Israel. Again, on each of these points we could do a whole series. But Israel is a brand plucked out of the fire. God chose Israel, and throughout the ages of his time from choosing Israel, they have been attacked, they have been vilified, they have been scattered abroad, and no nation has ever survived what they have experienced, the scattering abroad, and ever come back and been a nation again until Israel did in 1948 as a testimony of God that only God can rebuild or, first of all, rescue Israel, or if we went all the way back, to call Israel, then to rescue Israel, then to rebuild Israel, and to protect Israel. If you, want, if you want to keep an eye on prophetic events that are taking place in our world today, the key to all of that is Israel. Israel is still in unbelief today, but God is going to bring them back to, as we said, rebuild them and to bring them to Him. And God today is protecting Israel. There's no other explanation for why Israel exists today. And and in understanding, it it is miraculous. It is only, you can only say this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes that Israel is even a nation today. 
before they had a military. Hours after they were identified as a sovereign nation, the nations around them attacked. They didn't have a military yet, and God delivered them and brought them victory. We read throughout the Bible. This is something only God can do. It's not by their might. It's not by their power. It's not by their wisdom. It is only God that can do this, and God will do it. He's going to continue to do it. You know, there are nations that say their their purpose for existing is to wipe out Israel and the United States. I don't know what will happen to the United States, but I know they won't wipe out Israel because of what God has promised. And only God is keeping them. It's not who they elect. It's not what... It is God that keeps them. But look in chapter 3 and verse 3. We read, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. So here's the picture. Joshua, representative of Israel, and we could go on and and say believers, but human beings, standing before God in filthy garments. These, the, the language that is used here, these are garments with human waste upon it. Okay? Um, this last week, right before the storm, I knew I needed to get a bale out. I go out to get, roll a big bale out and put the bale ring over it and you're those of you that have cattle know you're out there and it's splash, all the filth and foul of the cows there. And I got it all over me, you know what I mean? And I come in, take my coat off. We just washed this work coat a week before it had to be washed again. You know, I said, I said it's bad, okay? That's a picture of Joshua and it's representative of our sin. And only God can wash away sin. And only God. And Joshua stands here. How can I be clean? And he said here, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I clothe you with rich robes. Hallelujah. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only God can do that. Only God can declare our sins forgiven. Only God has paid the penalty for our sin. And he passed, Joshua passed from a condition of utmost defilement to one of unsurpassed glory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's nothing we do. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not, we're not going to be able to be in heaven and say, Wow, I see you made it. Good job. Boy, you held on to the end. No. 
It is not of anything that we have done. None of us are going to be able to boast. We are going to say praise to God for the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. He alone can wash away my sins. Clearly, it's God's work without the help of any man or anything else. It's not like we, we do some of it and God finishes it. It's not like it's up to us. No, it is only God that can forgive sins. Every one of us are vile in our sin. Every one of us are, are just a reproach. But it is only God. And God says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's what the gospel is. And it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by the working of God's Spirit. So then, turn to chapter 4. We, we mentioned the first six verses there. <clears throat> but notice verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. Notice what he says. Here's this great mountain, this obstacle that is there that how are we going to rebuild this temple? We have all this opposition. This is a great mountain. And he says, this mountain will become a plain. Only God can move mountains. And in this, Zerubbabel is encouraging those to understand that there is an unending supply of God's grace and power and there are no mountains of difficulty that He cannot deal with. We used to sing the little chorus, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable? God, any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. And He does what others cannot do. See, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that God can turn a mountain into a plain. And so we don't even ask God. Our faith is so weak that, that we, don't, we think, well, that's a loss. That's gone. And He says... No, it's not by your might, it's not by your wisdom and you figuring it out. It is by my Spirit. And God says, I'm the only one that can move mountains. So He's saying, don't get discouraged by man's limited perspective. And He goes on and says um, in the next verse, for who has despised the day of small things? Oh, this is just a, this temple we're building just a little thing compared to the other thing. And, and this situation in my life, I, I don't have much to offer to it. And God says, don't despise the day of small things. Little is much when God is in it. And in realizing that, that as we put our faith in God, our faith isn't in the circumstances. Our faith is in God. And, and it, realizing it is only God that can do the impossible. And he said over and over again when he came to Mary, 
She said, how can this be that I would bring forth a son? I've not known a man. And he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Because it's only God that can do the impossible. So then he goes on to encourage the believers. And he, in chapter 5, gives an image of this scroll. And it has two of the commands, ten commands, um, recorded on the scroll. And you'll get into that more in your studies tonight. But notice, if you'd look in verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me... came out and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. And he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of the stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Sinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. So you say, what in the world is this all about? Well, first of all, it says there's this basket. There's a lead disc or a cover lifted up. And this woman is sitting inside of the basket. And notice what it says in verse 8. Then he said, this is wickedness. This, this is a basket with the woman representative of wickedness in this. And God comes and puts a lid on the basket, a lid on the wickedness. And messengers of God come and carry it away. Who's in control here? God is. He's in control of wickedness. Only God can deal with wickedness and He will. And he's, repre- he's saying to the children of Israel, man, it looks like that Babylon is strong and all these people opposing you are strong. But he says, here's a picture for you. Here's wickedness. Put the lid on it. I'll do with wickedness whatever I want. And it is under my control. And that ought to make everyone say hallelujah. God is the only one that can judge the wicked and he will. President Calvin Coolidge was known for how little he talked. And one Sunday he went to church. His wife wasn't able to go with him that Sunday. When he returned home, she asked him, what was the message on today? And he said, sin. And she said, well, what did the preacher say about sin? And... um, He didn't give an answer, and she persisted, and then he said, he said he was against it. Short, succinct answer. Basically, 
what Zechariah is saying here in Zechariah chapter 5. He's telling us what God thinks about wickedness. He is against it, and he will be relentless in judging it, and he alone will judge wickedness. God is the creator. He's the lawgiver. He is the judge. And we can rest in the fact You might look and think, boy, they're getting by with all this wickedness and look at this. God's in control. God is going to take care and he is going to deal with wickedness. What we better be concerned about is the wickedness in our own heart. Because God is going to deal with it. And it is important for us to understand, thank you, Lord, that you are the judge of all and, and that I can trust you, and I can rest in you. God alone controls the wicked. He has the final say about them. So, don't get your eyes on the wicked. It will discourage and defeat you. And it will. We get our eyes on every, all the wicked that's going on, and And it's hard to not get your eyes on it because it's so prevalent. It's everywhere. But remember the story of David and Goliath. Where were the eyes of the Israeli soldiers and David's brothers? They were on the wickedness, weren't they? Whoa, look how big this wickedness is. Whoa, look at the World Economic Forum. Whoa, 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 look at all these things. And then one man, a lad, came along whose eyes were not on the wicked, but were on God. And his eyes were on God, and he said, I know my God. And I know my God can deliver me. And I've trusted him with a lion and a bear, and he can surely deliver me here. Notice the difference, the focus. One was on the wickedness and one was on God, knowing that God will deal with the wicked. And it is too easy for us, and I, I know this personally, it's too easy for me to get my eye on the wicked and off of God. And Zechariah is used of God to, to remind the people, hey, you, you're looking at the wicked. I'm putting a lid on it. I'm dealing with it. I will. And only God can and He will. And we need to turn our focus to God rather than All the wickedness. Satan wants us to be filled with fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Why should we fear? God is the one that rebukes Satan. God is the one that removes sins. God is the one that can do the impossible. God is the one that will judge the wicked. But notice again, if you look at chapter 6. And again, we're skipping some of these. You'll get more of it tonight in your studies. But in chapter 6, 
I want to point out one more aspect of what only God can do. So, in this, a command is given to make this crown and to put it on Joshua as the priest and symbolic as the priest and the crown as the king. Notice verse 12 of Zechariah 6. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall between be between them both. Notice it's, it's talking about Jesus Christ. He will sit upon his throne. He will bear the glory. He will rule upon his throne. And only God will establish his kingdom. God is going to establish his kingdom. His kingdom isn't going to be established by us. It's not going to be established by voting certain people into office. His kingdom is established, and Christ will reign as priest and king forever, and nothing will stop Christ's kingdom. His kingdom will be done, will come to pass, and His will will be done. I mean, it's kind of nice to be in the game and already know you're going to win. Ah, we're down 40 to nothing. Ah, that's all right. I know the end. We're going to win. God is the one that brings the victory. And God is going to establish His kingdom. And nothing will stop it. See, only God can and only God will rebuke Satan. And He will bring the final rebuke to Satan casting him forever in the lake of fire. Only God can and will and is rebuilding and establishing Israel. Read Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade upon the right hand. This is a direct command. This is directly written to Israel. And it's only God that can remove our sin. Only God can do the impossible. Only God will judge the wicked. And only God can set up his kingdom. Zechariah reminds us that rather than seeking certainty, we should seek God himself. He is our certainty, He is our protection, He is our provider. Rather than, than trying to figure out all these things, rather than <clears throat> trying to make sure that we're going to be secure, we ought to seek God and God alone because only God can do all these things. And it's Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, our hearts should be encouraged. Our hearts should be encouraged that Man, I am committed. I am going to focus on God more than ever. Our hearts should be encouraged, first of all, 
to make sure we are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, that God has forgiven our sins because we've turned from our sin to Jesus Christ, called upon Him for the forgiveness of sin, and we need to keep the, the lines of communication with God open by confessing our sin. <clears throat> and it is only God that can forgive our sin. And he said he would be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So Zechariah is saying, hey, there is an eternal, effervescent supply of oil. The trees are growing, they're producing the oil, they run it into these tubes, they run it into these bowls that feed these lampstands. You have a permanent supply of the Spirit of God, and it is not by might nor by power, but it is this permanent supply of God's Spirit that God can do all these things, and God alone and God will do all these things. And that ought, that ought to encourage our hearts. It ought to make us say, man, I can trust God. This obstacle that's in my way, He'll give me the grace to, to respond properly to it, whether He removes it or whether He gives me the grace to conquer it. I can trust God in every detail. The wickedness that abounds... God's going to take care of it. And I can rest in Him. And our hearts should be encouraged. And that encouragement should be a stark difference in the world we live in today. That we're not given to fear. That we have a peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also ye are called in one body. Our memory verse. Why do we have peace? I know my sins are forgiven because of Christ. I know he's going to deal with the wicked. I know his kingdom, nothing can stop it. I have great peace in knowing that. And so Zechariah was raised up of God to provide great encouragement to the, the people there. And God has preserved it for us to provide encouragement to us. Rejoice today that God can... And He will. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to You today. Lord, You are the only, only being we can trust. You are truth. And Lord, forgive us where we get our eyes off on self or off on the wicked and off on all these other things. And I pray that our focus would be on You. Lord, I pray if there are individuals here that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone, that today would be the day they simply call unto you for the forgiveness of sins. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help every believer here today to walk in victory, the victory of you, that you are in control and we can trust you. Lord, we plead your mercies that we would represent you well in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going